0: Well, we read that after some days Paul said to Barnabas, let's now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord. Let's see how they're doing. And Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul the Apostle was a visionary. He saw things that other people don't see. He saw a great work to be done. And he could see what the average person in Christian ministry couldn't see. He saw the possibilities, the potential that God could do through the life of a person. Dwight L. Moody, when he was a young man, was sitting in the balcony of a church and he heard a visiting pastor say that the world has yet to see what God can do through one man totally devoted to him. Dwight L. Moody heard those words and he said, by, by the grace of God, I'm going to be that man. And God used him in a powerful way. Also, much like Paul, as a visionary, he saw the possibilities. He was a pioneer. Paul was one of the movers and shakers of his time. He didn't get along well with everyone. In fact, as we read the epistles, we find that in his zeal and in his missionary oomph to get the gospel out, he crossed some cultural boundaries and he made a lot of enemies in every church, in every region, both between unbelievers and believers. People had contentions with him. They didn't like his method. They didn't like his sermons. Now, we think of Paul as somebody who's great and we love him, but we don't recognize that he had a lot of people who didn't like him and didn't get along with him. Now, that happens all the time with the a visionary, A.W. Tozer, somebody who's been dead for a long time, but if you ever get a chance and you want to read some great Christian literature, read anything by A.W. Tozer. He just has a grip of the message of the Word, and it'll just grab and transform your life. But A.W. Tozer is revered today, but in his day, people wouldn't invite him to speak at their churches because of the things he said and some of his methods. People didn't like him. Well, Paul was like that as well. He was driven. And people like Paul are often tough to work with. When you have real visionaries like Paul... If you've ever been around them and tried to work for them or with them, they're not that easy to get along with. In fact, some people see visionaries as offensive. And I'm sure that people saw Paul as offensive because it would seem to some people that people like Paul with that personality aren't really concerned about people as much as the work, and Paul was concerned about people, but certainly his focus was on the work of the Lord, not hurting people's feelings. He just wasn't the real sensitive guy, although he had a sensitive moments. But we see here tonight a clash between someone who was very sensitive to people and someone who was sensitive to the work of God and not wanting anybody to hinder that work, and we see a clash here. Paul's personality was intense. Whether he was a a heathen or a Christian, he just gave it all that he could. When he was a persecutor of the church and a Jewish rabbi, he was a good rabbi. And he was a good persecutor. He figured if he's going to hate Christians, he's going to hate them so they know it. So he's going to kill them. He was a radical. He went from Jerusalem all the way up to Damascus to kill Christians. When he came to know the Lord, he didn't pussyfoot around. He was just as radical for the Lord. The radical unbeliever turned into a radical Christian. He was unmistakable wherever he went. People knew where he stood. He was salt and he was light. And those people are wonderful people in the kingdom, but they can be tough to get along with. But to Paul, the church was not a parking lot. It was a launching pad. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. Paul said, all right, I'm going to do it. God has called me to be an apostle to the Gentiles. So I'm going to go start churches in different places. I'm going to raise them up, raise up local leadership, and I'm going to be gone. And he went into all the world to preach the gospel. And nothing would stop him. He had a passion for souls that wouldn't quit. Even though things didn't work out and didn't always flow right, that passion for souls drove him on. Now I want to ask you tonight before we move into this, before you're too apt to criticize Paul for the way he handled this, think about the passion that he had for souls that drove him on to make his decisions. Do you have a passion for souls? Do you have a real passion to see people come to know Christ? We heard tonight about the metal bands and Combat Faith and some of the others who just have a heart to see people come to Christ. They don't care how it's packaged. They don't care how they're dressed. They just want to relate to people so that people can know Christ, having a passion for souls. I like what one person said, God is not dead, but His public relations staff could use a good shaking up. Well, that's us. We're His public relations staff, and yet we often get sidetracked into things that really don't matter, not Paul. The scene, as you have been able to see after we have read it, is a personal scene from the life of Paul and Barnabas. A controversy arose between two very well-respected, very well-renowned leaders in the church. Two men who shared trials together. Two men who faced antagonism and controversy city after city for almost two years. And now there's an antagonism between both of these workers. Those two who at once were one now have a disagreement that's going to split them apart for good. Have you ever noticed that oftentimes doctrinal differences we can handle between certain groups of people and certain opinions that someone else has that are different from our own when it's doctrinal it's all right but when it comes to personal issues those are the things that can drive people apart well think for just a moment how different barnabas was from paul barnabas was called the son of encouragement he was the kind of a person who was interested in people's feelings we see him all the way from acts chapter 4 Up to this chapter, every time encouraging someone who has failed or who needs something, he comes alongside to encourage them. He was given that name by the early church. He didn't say, you know, I'm a nice guy, and I'm going to change my name to son of encouragement. How does it sound? Got a good ring to it? No, people noticed that characteristic in his life and called him that. Paul, on the other hand, was not given the name son of encouragement, although he was encouraging. He was more concerned about the work while Barnabas was concerned about the worker. And we see the split here. It's never fun or easy to see a split between two people like this, nor is it the last time that it happened. By the way, this is the last we read of Barnabas in the book of Acts. After this, he sort of fades from the scene and the limelight focuses upon Paul. I'm sure if Barnabas had stayed with Paul, he would be in the limelight, but he decided to leave. But this is not the last time that a controversy like this happens. It has happened throughout church history. I think of the Reformation, started by Martin Luther, really started by the Lord, I believe. History tells us that some of the greatest reformers argued vehemently in public You'd get Luther against Calvin against Zwingli and they talked talk these things out and even congregations were split in the Reformation. So it's not something that you read about just in the book of Acts. You see it all the way throughout history. Why is there conflict? This is a simple reason. Because there are people. When Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build My church... He did not have in mind a group of perfect people that gather together who just all agree on every little thing and are always smiling. And, you know, those are images that we have imposed upon groups of people, but the Bible doesn't show the church that way at all. In fact, the church is a hospital. Jesus said, I've come to bind up the brokenhearted, open up the doors to the captive, those who are blind to make them see, downtrodden. What a description of a group of people, broken-hearted, downtrodden, blind. That's us. And you get enough of that kind of people in one room. That's going to be a messy group of people. But what's important is that we tell everyone that it's okay to bleed at the hospital. You don't have to come in cleaned up. Just come in the way you are. And if we would stop judging people, and let them come in the way we are and put our arms around them and let God grow them up, we'd be a lot further along. Binding up the brokenhearted. The imperfect people becoming part of us. That's really what the church is. It's not a group of perfect people, but it's a society of redeemed people who express their spirituality through their minds and their bodies, which are imperfect, and defective personalities as well. You know, a lot of people struggle after seeing the facades that Christian wear. The facade that says, I'm always happy. I've always got it together. I'm always victorious. Hey, if you are, I rejoice for you. But you are a rare breed. Because even David in the Psalms, a great man after God's own heart said, I am drowning my bed in tears of affliction. I am moaning and mourning all day long. He didn't just smile and say, praise the Lord, even when he felt bad. He said, God, I feel horrible. And the church is filled oftentimes with people like that as well. Apostles are not excluded. Paul is not excluded. And we ought to all be thankful tonight that the Bible gives an honest portrayal of its heroes. I like that. Oftentimes when you have a person write a biography for someone else, he writes of the good things of that person's life. He embellishes it. The flaws, oh, let's not write about that. And so often you read about the person in a better light than they really walked in. Not the Bible. The Bible gives you an honest perspective of the people and the men and women of God. A word about disagreement before we read in these verses. In verse 39, the contention became so sharp. That's a very important word we're going to get to. But a few words about disagreement. First of all, the obvious. People disagree. I've never met a group of people who think the same things identically. People disagree. Except dead people. They're the only people that don't disagree with one another. But my point is this. Anyone who thinks has an opinion. And one person's opinion will invariably vary from another person's opinion. And so people just naturally disagree. You know, one of the great philosophers and thinkers had this saying that for some reason made it to the top list. He said, I think, therefore I am. I would rephrase that. I think, therefore I disagree. One person told me, Skip, if, if two people agree on everything, one of them is not thinking. We all have opinions. We can't help but disagree on some issues. And that's okay. People do that. A second obvious fact is that even godly people disagree. Now, sometimes it's a sign of carnality. There are times when disagreements uh, turn into strifes, turn into splits, and are very hurtful. And that's carnality. Paul wrote to the Corinthians. They had that problem. He said, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual. But as worldly, as mere babies or infants in Christ, I gave you milk and not solid food, for you were not ready to bear it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What, after all, is... Is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. So division can be carnality, but not always. It's not always a sign. When you see two Christians not getting along, it does not mean they're a carnal necessarily. Because you can have godly people on two different sides of an issue. Go to a Bible bookstore sometime. It's easy to figure that out. You can read ten books on an issue. And I bet none of them will agree on everything concerning that issue. And you can be godly and walk with God and be on either side of an issue. We have a false idea of what unity is. I think some Christians think unity means uniformity. That somehow we should abandon all church buildings in the city of Albuquerque and every Sunday we should be able to get together in the pit. Well folks, it's not going to work that way. That's not, that's uniformity. I thank God for the variety of worship opportunities in this city. Because there's different strokes for different folks. Some people are very rigid in their worship. And they feel they haven't worshiped God unless they've worn a suit. And put on wingtips. And worshiped with an organ. And been able to see stained glass. They feel like they've cheated themselves. They really haven't entered in. Then there are other people who feel like, oh, that's horrible. I could never worship in that. And another group of people won't feel comfortable until they've uh, danced a little bit. Or rolled down the aisles a little bit. Or maybe swung on the chandeliers and been a little more emotional. And that group of people will say, boy, there's no spirit in this place. because Look at this organ and stained glass. And there's everything in between from high church to whatever. All the way through. And different people feel comfortable in different places. I like what one gal said tonight. If you're a Christian and you love the Lord, it doesn't matter where you worship. It just matters that you worship. It can be a lot of latitude. And the third thing uh, in opening this up about disagreement is that each side of a disagreement has valid points. Don't forget that. Because when there's a disagreement between you and somebody else in the body, you only come with a limited perspective. And if you leave with that same perspective, you've cheated yourself. You need to stop and think, why does that person think this way? Maybe there is something to that other side. Instead of being so closed and dogmatic about this little area, maybe I should listen, maybe I should shift the way I think. You can have neither a wrong side or a right side sometimes. It could be just a different way of looking at things. Different value system. Now, let's look in verse 36 together and notice, first of all, what Paul and Barnabas agreed on. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, let's go now. Let's go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with them John, who is called Mark. Both of them agreed that they should go back to all the places they went to on their first missionary trip and visit the brethren. I can imagine the conversation. Hey, uh, Barney, um, I'm not doing anything and I feel like God would have us go back. What do you think? Love it, Paul. I've been hoping you'd feel the same way. Hey, let's take Barnabas. I mean, let's take uh, John Mark. So they both agreed that they should go, but they disagreed on who should go. Paul meant, let's you and I go. Barnabas said, hey, let's you, I, and John Mark go. And the controversy centers around John, who is called Mark. Who is he? Well, he's Barnabas' cousin, nephew. He's either cousin or nephew. It depends on which version you want to read. But he's a relative, all right? John Mark was the son of a distinguished family in Jerusalem who had a large, fancy home where the disciples used to meet to have Bible studies and prayer. In fact, while Peter was in prison one time, they all met in John Mark's mother's house and they were praying that Peter would be released from prison. The first missionary trip, he was invited along, but he flaked out in the middle of the trip. When they were in Perga of Pamphylia, it says that he left and he went back to go to Jerusalem. We don't know why he left, but it made Paul mad. Enough to think that he had a flaw in his character, some weakness. He was a wimp. He left the work. You can't trust him. And you can imagine the conversation again. Barnabas, let's go back. Great. Love to, Paul. Let's take John Mark with us. You know, my relative. No way. What do you mean, no way? Hey, if we're going, we need company. I'm not taking him again. You can't trust him. What do you mean you can't trust him? What? He flaked out on us. Well, give him another chance. You can't give up on a person that way. The work's more important, Barnabas. This is the work of the gospel. If that person can't handle the heat, he should get out of the kitchen. Oh, give him another chance. And as you can see, the son of encouragement just sticking up for him. But it didn't work. And there was a contention between them. Notice it says that Barnabas was determined to take with them John who was called Mark. The word determined means to continually stand ground and not give in. He was adamant. Nope, we're taking it. Nothing will change my mind. But then it says Um Barnabas kept on insisting, but Paul insisted. And so they had a contention that was so sharp between them, or literally it means so convulsive or violent that they had to split. This was not just some little disagreement. This was a rift, and I'm sure the tone was pretty sharp. Because of the Greek wording, it seems like there was this loud argument where they faced off, and both of them thought they had the right and held the right position. But uh, they couldn't hang out together. For it says in verse 39, the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark, and he sailed to Cyprus, But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren. For some reason, the church seemed to hang on to Paul and send him out rather than Barnabas. Being commended by the brethren to the grace of God, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. That was the solution. The solution to the problem was that they split company. You know, it would be wonderful if I could stand here and say, well, it all worked out. They... Saw their differences, but they worked through them and they finally reconciled together. They didn't reconcile. They weren't able to come to an agreement. They finally had to leave. Now the question is, who was right? Was it Paul or was it Barnabas? That'd be an interesting question to hear all of you answer. Because some of you feel like Paul. The work's important. You'd say, hey, Paul was right. I mean, after all, he wrote most of the Bible others, you say, no, I think Barnabas is right. Paul should have been more flexible. That'd be interesting to sit down with all of you and hear your answers. My answer as to who is right is this. Both of them were right and both of them were wrong in certain areas. Both of them, I believe, needed to be a little more flexible than they were. And I think they could have resolved this issue, perhaps. But Paul's question was, what can this person do for the work of the Lord? Barnabas really had a question that said what can the work of the Lord do for this person and both of those are truthful and both are important The work of God in your life has a lot that God wants to do for you and bless you with But also what can you contribute to the work of the Lord? Before we move on I have to say that I am very thankful for those different types of personalities that have been in my life I've had Paul the Apostles in my life I've had leaders that I've worked with who are like Paul they're tough They're visionaries. They're hard to work with. They're hard to work for. They push. They move. They see things a certain way. They're very narrow in their scope. And they bless me by their drive and their example. But I also thank God for the Barnabases in my life. And I'm glad I didn't have one or the other only. I've had people who've come alongside of me when I've been really low and just have the ability to encourage me so that I can continue to go on. Instead of just... Pushing like Paul, encouraging like Barnabas. Someone once said, encouragement is like peanut butter. The more you spread it around, the better things stick together. That's true, isn't it? Our lives are like that. The more encouragement you have, it seems like our lives can stick together better. As you read the rest of the book of Acts, and we hope to get through it before the Lord comes, not that that's a priority necessarily, but (laughs) you never read of Barnabas or Timothy, again, in the book of Acts, they're gone from the pages forever. But they do appear in other epistles of Paul later on. In fact, Paul speaks about the unity that he had with Barnabas. He was willing to overlook this circumstance and think about the things they agree with. Timothy, he wasn't shelved for good. After he returned from the missionary journey with Barnabas, it seemed that he hung out with Peter and became an associate to the apostle Peter In fact, the Gospel of Mark was written by John Mark. And it is believed that it is the account of the Apostle Peter as given or dictated to John Mark, and he wrote it down from his account. So even if Paul thought he's washed up, he'll never be used, God had different ideas. In fact, later on, Paul had different ideas because at the end of his ministry, when basically Paul's life was winding down, Paul wrote these words to Timothy. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Now that's what he said at the end. At one time he said, no, he didn't come with us to the work. He was a mama's boy and had to go back home to Jerusalem. But at the end of his ministry, he said, hey, please bring him. He's very profitable, very useful for my ministry. Now we read in verse 39 that they split up. And in verse 40, Paul chose Silas. Why did he choose Silas? Probably because Silas thought a lot lot like Paul. And there was a yoke together. And that's not bad. I mean, here's Barnabas. He's capable, but why didn't he go with Barnabas? Because they didn't think alike. They didn't see a lot of these things eye to eye. And that's good in ministry. You need to be yoked together. Have someone who agrees and comes alongside, and Silas was one of the characters who delivered Chapter 15's decree in Jerusalem to the church in Antioch. He was a couple of the, one of the guys that went up there with them, and he was a prophet. The Bible says a prophet in the church, and Paul probably admired his gifts and said, "Come along with us." Okay. Is contention always bad? Is this kind of disagreement always horrible? No. Look at the end result. At first you had one missionary team. Now you have two. First it was Paul and Barnabas, now they have their own mission organization. And so you might say, Oh, it's the church is so split they couldn't get along. Hey, the work is furthered, man. Now the gospel's going to Cyprus and to a whole other place because there's two missionary teams. I call that God's providence. It reminds me of the scripture Joseph said to his brothers who sold him into Egypt as a slave. They said, Joseph, are you still ticked off at us? Are you still mad? Joseph said, brothers, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Do you get that? You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. No matter what happened between these two fellows here in the book of Acts, God meant it for good and two separate missionary teams were developed. You know, the Bible says that God can even make the wrath of man to praise him. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So, next time you think that it's all out of hand because you can't figure it all out, just remember that. All things, not most things, some things, all things work together for good to those who love God. Uh, As we close tonight, a few lasting lessons I want to leave you with. Because, you are a human and I am a human, and we're not always going to agree. And sometimes our humanity surfaces itself and manifests itself more than our godliness, right? I mean, you would love for people to think you are a spiritual person all the time. The truth is you're not. And sometimes your fleshly character surfaces more and we get to see it. And just when we thought you were perfect, the real you comes out. And that's good. Because it should burst our bubble so that we recognize, hey, we're all flesh and blood. But a few lasting lessons to go away with, and that is when there is a disagreement or a rift. I'm not talking about sinfulness in a person's life that you go and approach him with, but there's a disagreement between you and another brother. Work through it. Don't run. The commonest thing to do, the most common, excuse me, thing to do, And the thing that our nature would fall into automatically is, hey, let's escape. Hey, you know, if it's not going to work out, fine, just boom, let's split. Decide to work through it. Don't just escape. Just don't run. I find that a lot of people run in the name of the Lord. I met a lot of people who didn't get along with their parents. They didn't like their job, so they thought, I'm going to the mission field. Now, if God's called you to the mission field, great. But if you're doing it because you're not getting along and its easy escape route, your problems will follow you. Decide to work through them. Don't run. Uh, Secondly, when there's a disagreement, do your best to see the other side. Think, what made this person come to that conclusion? The Bible says in Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. That sounds impossible, doesn't it? Others better than me? He says, each of you should look not only on your own interests, but also on the interests of others. Remember when you have a disagreement that you are not God's spokesman alone. Remember that God doesn't just speak to you alone. Remember that you are sheep. And the Bible says all of us like sheep have gone astray. All of us. And all of us have flaws, and sometimes we make mistakes and we have an opinion or a perspective and try hard to see their side too. And finally, if both sides of this disagreement have support, then seek a compromise. I'm speaking about gray areas. I'm not saying compromise your Christian life and let somebody sin. I'm speaking about disagreements where both sides have support. If that's the case then seek a compromise. You see, the pathway of love is always greater than the pathway of power or authority. Now, you know, our flesh would love to walk away from an argument thinking, I won. But in grace, if you could come to a compromise and say, you know, perhaps that's correct. Perhaps I'm seeing it just one way. Instead of saying, well, I don't know, I prayed about it and that's just the way it is. What if the other person said, well, I prayed about it too, and that's the way it is too. Well, one of us didn't hear from God then, did he, brother? And that must be you. No, I, I think it's you. You see, that's petty stupidity. That's called spiritual ping pong. You don't get anywhere with that. F.B. Meyer, great biblical expositor, once said, I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves one above another. And that the taller we grew in our Christian faith and character, the easier we could reach them. Now I find that God's gifts are on shelves one beneath the other. And it's not a question of growing taller, but of stooping down to get His best gifts. Isn't that beautiful? Instead of standing tall against somebody, how about stooping down in humility? And try hard to see the other side. Now, there may be times where the conflict gets so tough, as we read here, that you part company, but that is certainly a last resort. The best thing is to work through it, even if that means you work through it and then part company, hey, at least work through it. And then when you do part company, put a lid on this. Put a lid on this lip. Because the easiest thing to do is to gossip. And you'll do it in the name of the Lord, and that makes it even more fleshly and horrible. One of the hardest things to do is to keep our mouths shut. James says the tongue is like a fire. Oh, you have a righteous cause, though. In grace, pray for that person. Love that person. Don't use it to slander that person. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we wouldn't know anything about grace unless You first showed it to us. We love You, Lord, simply because You first loved us. You were the initiator. But Lord, we are tonight more in awe of not the fact that we love You. You're easy to love. But the more awesome fact that You love us. Because many times we are unlovely. I pray, Father, that in these situations where there is disagreement, and we all disagree because we have different opinions, that we try hard to see the other side. We'd in grace work through it. And we come to some kind of compromise in these little gray areas. Thank You, Lord, for the Pauls in our lives. And thank You for those Barnabas. It's both so blessed. Both right. Give us that balance. We ask it in Jesus' name.